Welcome to Yellow Mensa, exploring cross-centered contextual justice in the South African context. Yellow Mensa is a ministry of East Bambano, Center for Biblical Justice. I am your host, and with me is my co-host, John Skippers. Hey, everybody. Hello, hello, for the Mensa. There you go. Hello, for the Mensa. Hello, for the Mensa. Today, we, we want to talk about Romans 13. We want to talk about Romans 13 and the submission or submission to authorities. Uh, this section of scripture, which uh, for us uh, and for many people, I think, can fall so easily into the category of what Paul, Paul's writings, uh, what Peter calls uh, hard to understand, hard to understand, and which uh, no I think, if you know the passage of scripture, Second uh, Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter writes, he says, which, are, which ignorant and unstable people distort, and they do uh, as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Uh, in many ways, this scripture has has fallen in that category. Um, this portion of scripture has fallen into that category, and so it's certainly a case uh, where injustice has happened, uh, and oppression has happened within the South African context and uh, in the past. Um, I want to quote to you something that uh, Oscar Kuman. Uh, wrote and he didn't only speak to the South African context on this particular issue. And I quote, here's what he says. Uh, as soon as Christians out of loyalty to the gospel of Jesus Christ offered resistance to the state's totalitarian claim, uh, the representatives of the state or the collaborators, theological adv ad ad advisor um, are accustomed to appeal to this particular portion of scripture of Paul saying, as if, Christian, as if Christians are here uh, commended to endorse and thus to uh, abet, uh, all, abet all the crimes of a totalitarian state. So this portion of scripture is often, of scripture is often used to, you know, to support and to say to other guys, hey, just shut up. You, you have nothing to say about the state and what the state mm -hmm. is doing. Um, so we want to get into this question of how do we understand and in this passage, how do we do it correctly, interpret this passage correctly, particularly in the context of injustices, where injustices are happening and oppressions, uh, oppression occurs. Uh, to help us do this, we have a very special guest with us, a New Testament scholar at that, uh, Bradley Trout, my man, to help us unpack and interpret the passage a little bit. Uh, Brad, welcome to Yellow Mensa. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do and your faith journey guys thank you so much for having me ah it's a pleasure it's good to be here met yella up yella mensa i'm brad yep yep uh i'm uh i'm not sure i'd call myself a new testament scholar yet um i'm uh in the making in the making <laughs> i'm trying um i'm doing my best uh i'm a phd student in new testament where i'm looking at matthew's gospel in the context of rome and uh, while i do that i I teach at George Woodfield College in Musenberg, where I also live with my wife and two children, uh, and where I go running up the mountains, and where I never go surfing. I grew up in a Christian home, uh, so this has been, in many ways, the story of my life, but only really got serious about Christianity in my early 20s, when I began to read, really read, and think about what the Bible is and how to read it better and more responsibly which is a journey I've been on ever since. And I think in many ways uh, takes us into some of the things we'll discuss this evening as well. Right. Yeah. Wonderful, man. Thanks, thanks, for, thanks for being with us. 
Yeah, we're going to get into some really meaty stuff. Uh, to all the nerds out there, uh, theology, New Testament, um, and everybody wanting to learn. Um, yeah. I hope this, this, this podcast is going to be of immense help to you. Yeah, we're going to get um, our nerd on tonight. We're going to get our nerd on tonight. Okay, so the first question. <laughs> so crucial to how we interpret this passage of Romans 13, particularly Romans 13, 1 to verse 7. Crucial to how, do, how we interpret this passage uh, is for us to first examine or under, our understanding of how we interpret text in general or what is often referred to as hermeneutics. Uh, what are some of the key, key things we need to be aware of uh, when we interpret passages of Scripture in general, Brett? Mm. Yeah, look, that's a, that's a great, great question. It's so important that before we um, dive into the text, what it means to read and apply text, because I mean, yep. these things were written a long time ago to a completely yeah. different Christian community, and so we can't just jump in there and say, "Well, let's say this is it says this to us now." I think we must say at least two things um, about this uh, process of interpretation, and the first is that we need to be aware when we approach texts of what we bring to them. This means that factors like the time in which we live, our age, our gender, our culture, our political economic outlook, our religious denomination, all of these things play a role in the way that we read the Bible. We're biased. We aren't no non-biased reads of scripture. We are overwhelmingly likely to see what we're conditioned to see, to apply the bits that best suit the outlook we already possess, and so on. And so we really need to be aware of that because it's exactly the failure to do that which has led people to misread Romans 13 and many other portions. An unawareness of what we bring as readers to texts, right. in short. Um, one of the documents we're going to talk about a little bit later, Evangelical Witness in South Africa, right. uh, the chapter that deals with Romans 13, the, the authors talk about how most evangelical groupings have tended to uncritically support existing oppressive systems. Right. And you see, they were unable to see that they benefited from the status quo and were thereby kept from rightly reading the passage or from seeing right. the importance of other texts that provide the balancing view. So that's the first thing when it comes to approaching the text, just knowledge of what we bring to it. If you are, uh, if you are Purvut in 1960 South Africa and you're reading Romans 13, you have a vested interest in reading it in such a way as that it supports your government. And sure. we all actually have that problem when we approach it. Right. But second, we also need to use the right tools. Um, mm -hmm. And these include studying the passage within its original setting. So those are historical tools. Um, right. We need to be able to look at it as literature. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, right. understanding its genre, the way it works, the argument, the kind of language that's used. And while we must bear in mind essential Christian teaching uh, as established in the likes of the creeds. Um, in other words, we must bear in mind Christian teaching and theology. And so right. those three tools, history, literature, theology, are all critical in order for us to rightly read and interpret Scripture. So if we keep both these things in mind, our own biases, and a genuine attempt to understand the passage in its original context, we'll be better interpreters of Scripture. Mm. That's beautiful. That's good, yeah. That's, good. That's amazing. That's mm. beautiful. Um, mm. Yeah. John? I was going to say is I think just even as we talk about what we bring to scripture, um, I, you know, and I don't know if you want to say anything on this, and we don't want to kind of get 
to a whole big hermeneutical discussion. But I think it's also it's so helpful to remember that we don't only bring negative things. And I think that was always reinforced to me uh, when I was studying theology is like, we've always got to try and like get to that neutral section where we're putting back all of who we are and we we're, we're kind of keeping it in the back seat. And so somehow we can, we can get this, to this position where we are coming as an objective reader. Uh, but as we are aware of our own biases, we also read where that we, we often bring viewpoints and we bring understandings of the world and ways of looking at the text that are unique to who we are and unique to our right, context. Right. And so, yeah. so, I, so I always like yeah. that idea of an engaged reader uh, because someone, for instance, who's coming from a context of oppression is going to ask very different questions to Romans 13 as, as to someone like myself who comes from a background of privilege, uh, whereas I'm, yes. the government's yes. going to work for me. So we're going to ask different questions. We engage with it um, differently. And I think that's just such a right. helpful thing, even when you think about context, yeah. Yeah. yeah, John, that's a great point. That's uh, beautiful. I, yeah, that's I completely cool. agree. And, uh, yeah. and that's why it's so important to read in community. Um, Absolutely. Because, because yeah. uh, I'm only going to be able to see through, through certain lenses, and I'm only Absolutely. going to be able to see differently and learn more when I have other readers tell me what mm. they see there with their particular biases yeah. so, uh, and their, their, what they bring to text as well. And so, yeah, that's, that's just a great point and just highlights the importance of reading the Bible not just alone, um, but with other heroes and with other disciples. Yeah, that's powerful. Yeah. So, Brad, you you touched on on this idea of of context. Um, now, of course, Romans thirteen is written within a literary context. That means that it has a place within the Bible, and it has a place within the book of Romans in particular. But then, there's also there is a historical context, which speaks to the question of why was, was, was the book and why was Romans 13 written in the first place and to whom was writing, to, what was he addressing, what was, his, what was his aims in that? Can you speak briefly about the out, or outline for us something of the context of Romans 13? Yeah, sure. Um, this is also a, a big conversation which could maybe have its own podcast, <laughs> just the interpretation of Romans. Yeah. Uh, I, hope, I, hope you guys, uh, I hope you guys do that in the future. Um, Romans is probably Paul's best-known letter. Um, yeah. but you, usually I find uh, that people are more acquainted with the first half of it than the second. Um, yeah, the first yeah. eight chapters, which deal with the well, gospel of the righteousness of God. Yeah, but all the, Romans 8 is the great chapter of assurance. If God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us? You know, neither death nor life. All the way sure. up to there, people really know Romans, I find. That's and then they, then they don't know Romans so well after that. But it's become increasingly apparent over the years uh, to me and to others that the focus of Paul's argument is very much in the second half of this letter, which people sometimes call the application. But that's not totally right. Um, yeah. In which Paul shows how God has acted to bring Jew and Gentile together. Right. And I think that's, a, that's an important place to start. It's an amazing message, you see, uh, from the Jewish perspective. The Gentiles have a part in God's great plan of salvation which Paul has outlined in the beginning of Romans. But this doesn't mean that God has forgotten the Jews. So it's important for us to see that early Christianity was fought with this battle between Jew and Gentile. What does the coming of the Messiah mean for the people of God to whom the promise of blessing was originally given? How is it that Gentiles can receive these blessings when it was originally promised to Jews? And so Romans is written in the context of this right. great question. Right. Um, Oh, and it's very practical. Paul's on his way to Spain, which is far in the West, 
Uh, and he, on the way, you know, he's coming from Jerusalem. On the way, uh, he uh, he wants to go to Rome. It's halfway. It's in between Italy, and he needs their support. Um, and so, if you read chapter fifteen, you see he really gets down to some of the business. He needs them to help him if he's to go to Spain. Wow. So he's looking for a place to stay, pretty much. Yeah, and uh, and some uh, some funding, uh, some funding to to send him on. Right, yeah. Right. But it's really important for us also just to note some things about the political realities. And this will really help us to, to understand something in this passage, I think. Um, in the previous centuries, the Jews had been successful in revolting against government uh, through the Maccabees. That was through the, against the Greek government. Later, the Romans uh, uh, took over Palestine from the Greeks. But we read in the New Testament, um, which is first century of love. Long for and were willing to fight for Jewish autonomy. This means that in the first century, some Jews participated in tax revolts and in riots um, and protests against the Roman Emperor Caligula. So, just about 10 years before Romans was written, we read of Jews being expelled uh, from Rome by the Emperor Claudius. So, there's clearly some oh, unrest right. there. One of the Roman historians, Suetonius, talks about this. And he says there was a big upheaval about some Christus. And he's probably talking about Christ. It would be so nice to. To know more. And then maybe about right, 10 years right. after Romans was written, we have the Jewish war, which starts in 66. This is a, this is a, huge, this is a huge revolt um, against Roman rule. It lasts four years until they crushed in AD, in AD 70. So 10 years before, 10 years after, we've got, if you like, uh, various attempts uh, to cause unrest, civil unrest. Right, right. Um, and we, we've got these Jews trying unsuccessfully to uh, liberate Palestine from Roman control by force. So in this context, Paul urges Christians, Jews and Gentiles, to be subject to governing authorities. And immediately now, I think, with that little bit of background, you can, you can maybe understand something of what he's, of what he's saying. Um, you're not going to go that route. You're not going to go that route of, of the zealots. Uh, you're not going to go that route of, of overthrow. Right. Um, so the... The Christian political response then is to not be like that. Rather, it's to, as Romans 12 verse 2 says, discern God's will. Mm-hmm. And verse 9 says to express love. Right. I wonder if you notice how love frames this passage, uh, something that's very often overlooked. In 12 verse 9 yeah. to 10, Paul writes and he says, love it's must be sincere. Mm-hmm. Hate what is mm-hmm. evil, kiss good, be devoted to one another in love. Then we have our passage. And at the end of our passage in 13 verse 8, we have Paul writing and saying, let no debt remain outstanding, except the continuing debt to love one another. Sure. For whoever That's loves right. has fulfilled the law. So you see how this whole passage is sandwiched in between love. Right, right. Now, those who wield this passage in favor of oppressive, oppressive governments tend not to emphasize this point. Mm. Yeah. Sure. That's, that's powerful. That's powerful. And I think that's, that's, that's so significant because... I have often said um, in conversations around Romans where, where it's often said like, it's often given, the context is often, or it's often like, um, you guys must just submit, no matter what was going on, this passage, and often with, with students there, and this was before Fismo, or during Fismo's fall, um, this was um, after Fismo's fall, and, and funny enough, you, you, you laugh at this. This was DA <laughs> students who were like, no, but I can't just sit down and do nothing. Right. And 
it's often been argued that this passage, no matter what was going on, no matter what the situation was like, Romans says X. Romans says X. And it was a conversation shut down for many. Mm-hmm. Conversation shut down. And, and not really di- diving into some of the context of what Romans was like, sort of immediately being brought into our context. What does the text say? You must just obey what the text is saying. Right. And I think that's helpful. But before we get into the text itself, some of the, you know, the detail of, of what Paul is getting at in the passage, um, I want to recognize within the frame of the context that I just spoke that this passage has a lot of baggage. It has a lot of baggage. Uh, and this is probably what we may call uh, uh, the way it's been uh, interpreted over history, over time. And it has often been used as a justifying historical, uh, to justify historical injustices such as apartheid and slavery. And it's still often been used today as a means um, against, to speak against protests, to silence protests uh, um, and opposition to the government. Things like Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, Fees Must Fall in particular. Uh, within that context, South African context, we've had many Christians who spoke into the apartheid context. Um, particular, you have the Kairos document. Now, I know a lot, a lot of people feel all kinds of ways about the Kairos document, but for all it's worth, it was a voice when lots of people were not giving any, you know, answers, Christian answers, theological yeah. answers to yeah. to the state. And this thing was written in 1985, and it was written as a challenge to the church's response to apartheid. Um, in the 1985 state of emergency, and they argued basically that uh, state theology uh, rested on the misuse of, of Rome in order to legitimize an attitude of blind obedience to the state in many ways. Just do what the state says, don't, you know, don't get into anything. And then on the back of that, in 1986, you have what you spoke about earlier, Brad, the evangelical witness in Southern Africa. Uh, now, they followed basically the, the Kairos document, the Kairos movement, um, and they spoke and they, and I quote, they wrote and they, they said this in that document. Uh, I think it's page 29 of the Evangelical Witness. Uh, Theologians of the state or state theology can be characterized by the use and misuse of Romans 13. Whenever victims of oppression try to raise their voices or resist the oppression of the oppression, oppression, Romans 13 is thrown into their faces um, by beneficiaries of the state of these oppressive systems. Romans 13 is used, therefore, to maintain the status quo and to make Christians feel guilty when challenging injustices in society. Can you speak a little bit about that and the history around that? Yeah, sure. Um... Well, there's so much to say if we're going to talk about the abuse of Romans 13. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> well, sometimes we've got to clear like, the ground before we can get to, we can actually get to the passage, I feel. Right, right. I mean, isn't it significant that, uh, that a group of um, theologians in South Africa in the mid-19s writing a document about the church's need to respond uh, against the apartheid regime, and the place they start, their entire 40-page document is Romans 13. That, that tells you something about how it was used. Yeah. Um, it just goes to show the extent to which the South African government were wielding this passage in order to cross opposition yep. to their racist policies. You know, I'll give you an example of this. The founder of African Enterprise, Michael Cassidy, he had an interview uh, with the president in 1985, October, with who was then Pia Via Boita. Yep. 
And the crocodile. And Cassidy was really hoping. Uh, Cassidy was very, very influential at the time, and he was really hoping that this interview would, um, you know, would would bring about signs from the president that they were going to relent on apartheid, that it was going to be dismantled. dismantled. But Cassidy was going to be really disappointed. According to his account, when he entered the room, the president, Borta, stood up, immediately stood up, and proceeded to read to him part of, you guessed it, Romans 13. Evidently, Borta thought that Romans 13 was sufficient justification for the National Party's apartheid policy. Um, That'll give you, just that little anecdote should give you... uh, a sense of, of, you know, the, the apartheid ministers, when they were go, got up in the morning and went to the fridge, they're on their fridge, Romans 13 is on the fridge, Magnum. You know, that's, that's, what they, that's what they were looking at. Um, you know, this has always been the case. You find the story again and again. Do you remember um, in 2018 when the Trump administration was under fire because, um, yep. because they were detaining in cages the children of people they were separating at the border? Right. Well, there was outra- there was outrage about this. Um, and how does Secretary General Jeff Sessions respond? Well, I'll quote him. I would cite to you the Apostle Paul and his wow. clear and wise command in Romans 13 to obey the laws of the government because God has ordained them for the purpose of order. End quote. Thank you, Secretary General Jeff Sessions. Governments love this text. They Law love and it. order. Yeah. Law and order. Um, kind of. We, we could go on to show how Romans 13 was used in the slavery movement uh, to counter the protestations of the abolitionist movement. We could go further and talk about how uh, German theologians in the 1930s defended the Nazi party. Um, I've got an example of that, mm. but I think we will be milking the cow more than necessary. Um, well, that's interesting. Because- Sorry, Brad, that's actually very interesting because most of us would condemn the Nazi party uh, and very, many of those conservative theologians would equally do that but yet they're using the same argument, the same scriptures to actually perpetrate very similar things. And you kind of got to ask yourself, when you're using the same arguments in the, for this, from the same passages as Nazi theologians, maybe you want to ask a few questions? I don't know. It's right, about, right, right. Maybe, and that, maybe. And that brings up the question of hermeneutics again, just the importance of how you approach texts. If you use the same method, just taking a text straight out of its context and saying, well, this supports the present regime. It's a very dangerous way to use the Bible, and it brings yeah. and it's brought about uh, you know so much so much uh, tragedy and death. Right. Yeah. I mean, these stories can be multiplied, and they show how easily uh, how easily biblical texts are wielded in support of the powerful. It takes yeah. us back to this principle we've been talking about earlier: know what you bring to texts. Um, evil governments yeah. approach texts with a view not to understanding them, but to how they may be used in order to maintain their power. Right. Um, and so this makes result interpretation all the more important. Mm. That's powerful. Now, can we can we get into the text itself a little bit? Can you give us sort of so Romans thirteen one to verse seven? Can you just give us a brief breakdown of the passage? What is it saying? What is its big idea? And some key notes or ideas that comes out out of the passage. Yeah, sure. All right, let's uh, let's work our way through. We'll just look at the first five verses, uh, first five or seven verses um, yeah. of 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 the passage. Um, and in some ways, you know, the passage is quite straightforward. 
um, it's the application of the passage uh, in differing political contexts over subsequent centuries that right. has caused the difficulty. Right. That's, wow. that's, 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 the, that's key. That's that, key. That, I think that's that is so important. Is. That is so important. That is so important to say. Um, so when we read the passage, we see, um, we see that Paul has been looking at Christian relationships in chapter 12, particularly at the end of chapter 12 with one's enemies. And so he then turns to the state. Um, and bear in mind, like I said earlier, the expulsion of the Jews about a decade before. So continuing the commands of response in chapter 12, let us that. He tells his readers that he ought to be to the governing authorities in verse 1. Um, just pulling it up quick. Um, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which is established by God. There's the verse that's on the every apartheid minister's fridge. Um, so, he, so, in the second part of verse 1, he gives the reason for this. Um, that God has established these authorities, and so to rebel against them, Paul says in verses 1 and 2, is to rebel against God. Yes, yeah, speaking rather generally, it's that wrongdoers have to fear the governing authorities, and that the authorities are God's servant for your good, he says in verse 4. He also adds that you should fear the government if you do wrong, because they don't bear the sword for no reason. And then he rounds this all off again in verse 5 with another call to submit to the authorities, and this time as a matter of conscience. So the passage, like I said, is fairly straightforward. Um, it basically yeah. teaches submission to the authorities on the grounds that God has established. So that's it, right? Well, yeah. no, it's, it's a lot more complicated <laughs> for, for, for several reasons. And uh, let me just make yeah. a, a couple of general comments about, about the passage. Um, the Kairos document, which you, which you mentioned earlier, um, yeah. Immediately begins by pointing out that state theology wrongly used this passage as, quote, the absolute and definitive doctrine about the state. And they're quite right to say that that's a mistake. As if Paul has in mind here, as he sits and writes Romans, a, a doctrine of the state for all Christianity for all time. Right, such, yeah. an assumption, such an assumption is completely wrong. Paul is talking in a particular community and in a particular time. Um, and to universalize this text is a huge mistake, as they rightly point out at the beginning of the Kairos document. We are looking in this passage at the response of one Christian community right. um, to one particular state. And these conditions no, by no means match our conditions precisely. So that's the first thing to bear in mind. Um, second, we must consider the circumstances of this particular community. It seems that um, some of them were, some of them believed that given the arrival of the kingdom of God in Jesus, it was no longer necessary to obey state government. One author calls this an over-realized eschatology. He means that people, have, people think that it's the end of the world right now and that basically the new heavens and the new earth has arrived or what we might call heaven has come now to earth. But in fact, there's going to be a delay. Caesar can't just be ignored um, because although the kingdom has come, the kingdom has not come in its fullness. Right. right. So, 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 so Paul seems to be encountering people who are overly enthusiastic about the arrival of the kingdom of God, which Romans has outlined from the first verse, where it talks about the Messiah, the son of David, who's come. So you could see how people would be really excited if, as Romans, yeah. the first four verses of Romans say, this Messiah has arrived. Messiah is a political term. It means king. This means, right. Doesn't this mean the overthrow of Caesar? 
Doesn't this mean we can rejoice now? Finally, the yoke of Rome is going to be broken. Think about how long the Jews have been in bondage. Mm -hmm. After the Babylonians took them in the 5th century BC, then it was after the Babylonians, it was the Persians, and then the Greeks, and then the Romans. We're talking five centuries of oppression. They're excited about this idea. Um, wouldn't it be wonderful to throw off those shackles? Um, Brad, can, so I just throw a, can I throw a thought in here? Sorry, I don't know. Seems to I be just, that. Sure, as, John. Yeah, yeah. As, you've been, as you've been talking here, it's so interesting is that, um, like I'm just thinking about these, uh, these oppressive authorities using Romans 13 kind of as this, um, as, as this injunction to obey the authorities. But in Romans 13, the, the, the immediate understanding seems to be that the authorities are actually evil. Uh, so it's actually an injunction to obey evil authorities. I don't know if you're getting it. Sorry if I'm jumping yeah, in ahead yeah. of you. It's just kind of, uh, maybe it's the first time it's occurred to me. Like, and so it's almost like if you're, if you're quoting Romans 13, are you not subtly actually saying, well, actually, we're not good authorities. We're actually evil authorities. It's actually not talking necessarily about what do you do to a good government. How do you? Yeah, that's a great point. It's, it's we don't know if the apartheid government or the Trump government quotes Romans 13. Who are they aligning themselves with? Exactly. <laughs> They're actually aligning themselves with the enemies of God's yeah. people. I mean, that's what they're actually kind of saying. Uh, right. I, anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point, John. Just uh, so yeah, be careful. What, be careful of how much. Uh, be careful of how much uh, you imply by what you quote, right? Sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's 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 so right. Um, there's other things to say as well. I think we need to remember that the style of government in Romans 13 envisioned that the style of government envisioned in Romans 13 is a dictatorship not a democracy. Um, Ooh, so that, that means things have, things have really changed uh, when we come to in interpreting that we no longer have that kind of government. I'm just kind of drawing on what John, you said a moment ago, because how much of a line do you want to draw between the way the Romans ruled over Palestine in the first century and the way governments generally work today, if we're talking in 2020? Today, there are legitimate means of challenging government that didn't exist in the first century. Right. A healthy, just, uh, a healthy democracy should be built on a just constitution and the right of all of its citizens to vote. So yeah. there's now, there are now are ways to respond to government tyranny that Rome would never have allowed. Exactly. We can vote out our rulers if they are incompetent or unjust. And so we must put several New Testament passages like Romans 13 into this wider perspective, recognizing that applying these things will be expressed differently in new conditions. Uh, yeah. that we have in the modern world. Um, it's a huge mistake to just say, well, Romans obey the government, obey today's government, when, um, when you're talking about a completely different style of government, uh, when the world has progressed to a style where you can actually hold government to account uh, yeah. according to an actual constitution. Um, and then that constitution may be built on broader biblical principles like love or seeking the betterment of other people. Um, right. which right. then in turn should be uh, submitted to. So it's just really important to bear that in mind that we're not talking about the same kinds of government when we jump from Romans 13 uh, to the modern world. All right, two more. Two more little <laughs> comments about Romans 13. Fourth, uh, Paul, Paul would know that governments aren't always just. Uh, and John's already pointed this out as well. So the point, is, the point is to survive. And the way Paul wants them to do that is by establishing a community in Rome that bears witness to God's work, whilst avoiding the view that following Jesus means civil disobedience. Why cause unnecessary problems? You're not meant to go there and take them down by the sword. You're meant to be a radically different kind of community. Right. 
And that's such yeah. an important point. Uh, one, one author uh, says that Rome could cope with ordinary revolutions, but a community committed to the crucified and risen Lord living out his stories and teachings, now that's dangerous. Come on, uh, sure. That's a, that's a comment on, from Tom Wright. It's a good comment. Um, be, be, a, be, a, be a counter community into this thing. And you're not going to do that by being like every other revolutionary guy or like right. Spartacus in the years before, before uh, 100 years before, where you're going to right. try and do this thing by arms. The Jews attempted this just 10 years after the letter was written. Right. And they were yeah. brutally destroyed. Mm. Um, the last thing I think we should say about the passage as it stands is that the text doesn't license what? It's just, it's just that would be reading way too much into it. Um, the text assumes that the power governments possess is power which God has given them. So obviously it's a power which shouldn't be misused in ways that are contrary to what God reveals is good. If power is misused, then there are other themes in Scripture on which to draw so as to hold them to account. In short, Romans 13 is not the last word on the subject of government. And irresponsible readings of Scripture just take one passage and say, well, there it is, that settles the matter, now submit and move on. Um, but Romans 13 is one of many right. passages in the Bible which we would pull together when we want to look at the subject of civil disobedience or how Christians should respond. And the Bible's witness to this is multifaceted. And I'm sure we're going to get more into that in a little bit. So that's a little overview of the passage. It's basic teaching and some points, I think, of uh, just to orientate us as we, uh, as we explore and consider the, the implications and significance of yeah. this text. Mm. Sure. Well, there's a lot of context. We, I mean, yeah. we've, we've dealt with, with, with a lot of context. And uh, I, I just, I'm just fascinated by, I know there's a lot of hype in the States about this new brother, uh, Isu Macaulay, who was, oh. I hope he's saying his surname. He's, Sounds right. <laughs> he's, he's, he's published a new book um, called uh, Reading While Black, um, right. African-American Interpretation of, and I think, I listened to one of his one of his podcasts uh, with some somebody was interviewing him on his book, and he pointed out on this issue of governments, and he was talking about the context of police. You know what's happening in the state, Black Lives Matter, uh, black people being shot, um, disproportionately, proportionately more killed in terms of how they handle the police handles an engagement with with the person of color compared to a white person. Um, and he was saying. You know, people always, when they look at the Romans in general, they, they, only, they think that the only thing that's spoken about governments is Romans 13. Well, Romans 19, I think verse, what is it, verse 17, uh, has a brief section on... on okay, not Romans God 19, but, uh, but I know... Oh, sorry, Romans 9, sorry, Romans 9, Romans okay. 9 has verse 17. What are you adding to scripture here, brother? What Bible have <laughs> you got here? Huh? Come on, man. Um, so he's, he's pointing out there, it's like, as a person of color reading that, I can't separate only the sovereign choice of God in election for eternal salvation when I read that short verse there where God talks about raising up Pharaoh and then displaying right. his power against Pharaoh. He says there's so much there as a person of color when I read that. I think of liberation. God mm. has is involved and sovereign activity in this world. Um, and so when I read that, I'm looking not just at my spiritual salvation liberation, right. I'm looking at the liberation that's going to come through this King Jesus 
Yes, it's going to come in the future. But as I'm reading this, I'm looking, when I think of, oh, but in the context of, of, of Exodus, there was an actual physical liberation as well. Sure. And I need to grapple with what does that look like? What does that mean, especially in the context that I'm living in today? Sure. And I think it's beautiful that you picked up, uh, you know, just living the gospel out. It's countercultural. It speaks mm. against what government is, what is, what is, what is, what is pushing. And if you have Christian in government, by just being Christian, I think that itself would, with, with clash with, with some of the worldview and, and policy government throws. And mm. you can't just be passive. Mm, I think yeah. that, that's, that's, sure. just, that's just beautiful. Mm. Um, again, we've spoken a lot about context, and I mean, you, you went back and forth about it, um, and context of the passage, but the context of the interpreter. We've spoken that as well, but I want to delve into that a little bit more. The context of, of the interpreter is also vitally, uh, a vital aspect in the process of interpreting scripture. So how do we go about uh, faithfully interpreting this passage in a context of injustice. Can you advise, um, can you give advice for people who uh, read, practical advice for people who come to the section where it says subject, be subject uh, to government authorities when those authorities are corrupt or perpetrators of gross injustice such as slavery or apartheid? I can already see somebody, you know, looking at corruption. Um, uh, oh, we're uh, thinking of ANC. Uh, I ain't see quoting this verse, somebody will lose their marbles um, if right. you go to Romans 13 about the ANC's corruption. Like, no, 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 it's a different story. We, we sure. need to tell the ANC how, how, yeah. how wrong they are. We, you can't apply Romans 13 here. What if the ANC threw Romans 13 at us for all the corruption that they, that they perpetrated? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah, good question. Um, John Stott's got this famous quote about, uh, about this, about Romans 13. It's, he says, whenever laws are enacted which contradict God's law, civil disobedience becomes the Christian duty. Um, when laws are enacted which contradict God's law, civil disobedience becomes a Christian, uh, a Christian duty. I think a number of things we've said previously are relevant here as well. There's a strong theme in Scripture of calling injustice to account. Um, there's a strong themes in scripture of people doing, people saying like, well, we've got to do God's will, not people's. We think immediately in the Exodus account of the Hebrew midwives, we, we think of Daniel's friend, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego saying, no, King Nebuchadnezzar, we're, we're, we're not going to do that. We think of the witness of prophets like Amos and Micah, who constantly called um, on governments and Jeremiah right. to act justly. And so when we think about the broader witness of Scripture, we can't just think about Romans 13. Um, we've, got to, we've got to be thinking about all the ways that governments are also called to account throughout the Bible. And sure. we've got to live out that vision as well. So responsible biblical interpretation always means balancing all that the Bible bears witness to, not just a particular passage like Romans 13. Wow, so when we, when, when we remember that we're dealing with a different sort of government uh, in most Western settings today, uh, we can call, in most Western settings today, we can call them through various means to account, lobbying, activism, voting, advocacy, so on. Despite the uh, apartheid government's frequent use of Romans 13, others, as shown in the likes of the Kairos document and this evangelical witness in South Africa, fought against them on the basis of other biblical principles. Apartheid yeah. fell because Christians were faithful to other elements of the Bible in an instance when they didn't need to, be, didn't need to obey straightforwardly Romans 13. 
Right. And right. Because, because they said, well, in this instance, we've got an unjust government, so we're going to apply rather the prophetic witness of, of Micah uh, or, or, the, or the, the trajectory in Scripture of God's people um, responding to injustice and obeying God. We're going to apply in this instance that scriptural teaching rather than just willy-nilly apply Romans 13. And that was the right thing to do. Um, and, and that's got to continue to be our approach. We've got to weigh up every circumstance and ask ourselves whether this is a Romans 13 instance or whether this is a justice throughout Scripture instance um, sure. and, and then follow accordingly. Right. Uh, so, so I think that's just really, really important to remember. Um, for that's example, there, there are other biblical principles, like all people being in God's image, right. which, in, which Romans, in which Romans 13 needs to be read. So yeah. responsible biblical yeah, interpretation like is the work of bringing the full biblical witness to the fore, not mm. merely highlighting blind obedience to a single text. Mm. Yeah. So we should right. be free. We, should, we, need, we can free ourselves of the tyrannical use of Romans 13. Oh, come on. That's some excellent yeah. theology there. Uh, John, you wanted to say something? I did. I, I was actually saying, Brad, I really liked what you said earlier. Um, and I've just been thinking about it of just as we actually consider the, 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 the kind of government we're dealing with and actually just even the Jewish situation. Uh, and in, in the case, it was the Jewish, and I think we can put the Christians in there as being predominantly of Jewish origin. It was this idea that actually uh, they were interested, they were tending towards, they were, there was a context in which they wanted to violently overthrow the government. And so in that situation, it seems like, that part, and correct me if I'm wrong, that the part of where Paul is speaking to is saying, no, no, we don't get involved in violent overthrow of the government. We're not going that route. Uh, right. And so that, and that's very different because I think even within the apartheid struggle, and I know there were differing views, but predominantly the church did not engage in violent struggle. Uh, right. Even, you know, um, even Desmond Tutu and others were, were and Frank Shukani and others like it were, even though they, they proposed a kind of liberation theology in many ways, they were very clear in, in distancing themselves from violence. Uh, and so that, and it's interesting. So when you read yeah. that, we're going, actually, that's what Paul seems to be, in this yes. case, predominantly opposing. And actually, the opposite, and I love what, I've never seen this. So I'm not just like, I'm processing here as we're talking here. But just the idea of, of, of how the passage is surrounded by the love motif. And so opposed, so... We're not going like we're not called to violently overthrow the government, but we are called to to love, and almost right. this counter revolution of love, right. which can lead right. to, to all yeah. kinds. And, and and in fact, it's it's not a case of standing up against injustices against the poor and the marginalized. It's actually about violent revolution because the kingdom of God has come, and this is what we want to do. Uh, and it's and so yes. it's a different case if you're going. Yeah. Wait, this government is is engaging in unjust activities towards you know, whether it's black people or poor people or, or whatever. Hmm. And so do we just apply Romans that has to do with violent overthrow straight there? Well, I think you've said to us, no, yeah. we, we can do better. Yeah, you said We can do better. Yeah, yeah, John, it's a great point. I mean, we've got to remember that this is the community of the Messiah. And how was Jesus' victory brought about? Jesus says that the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I could call down legions of angels. We're talking about the Son of God here, but how does he bring his victory apart? Well, Philippians, uh, about, how does, he, how does he win? How is the victory of, victory of God brought? Well, through a crucified Messiah. Uh, this, is yeah. the, this is the remarkable and beautiful story of the gospel. And if that's how it was going to work, if that's how Rome is going to be fought, uh, overthrown, if that's how the kingdoms of this world 
are going to be replaced by the kingdom of God through a man being crucified, well, then that's going to set the model and the trajectory for the whole yeah. Christian life and for the Christian response too. God's Amen. victories are always going to be won through the community of the cross and mm. through the models and the methods of the cross. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, we're going to, if, we're going to, if we're going to usher in the kingdom by drawing out our swords, it would be just like every other worldly revolution. And it's so important to remember that just after Romans was written, that's exactly what a group of some of the Jews tried to do exactly. um, to their yeah. detriment. Mm. But the community of the cross... Christians, God's people, have constantly called, um, have constantly called for change and revolution by the laying down of power, Amen. instead of the taking it up, instead of Come wielding on. it, um, yeah. in saying, "Well, I could do all of this Philippians two style, but instead, I'm going to lay that aside, and I'm going to take the path of service, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross." That's the Lord we serve, and so that's always going to be the shape of our community. Mm, yeah, that is so powerful. I, I, I think what what for me. He, that is, it, is, is this idea of, I know Bath speaks, spoke, speaks about this permanent revolution where, you know, we looked at the, you know, the, the best possible model of, you know, if, if a government is really good, we don't rest even when a government is good. Because I think what happened during apartheid was a lot of Christians, white evangelicals in particular, got numbed by the apartheid government's veneer of Christianity, pushing anti-abortion, pushing anti, you know, pornography, pushing into all these wonderful Christian things and overlooking all the gross injustices that was. And so permanent revolution says, we, we, we're not going to sleep even though we see good things that the government do, because they are, because this is, this is a human institution. It is flawed. There's sin in it. And so there's elements in it that we need to speak up against. And so we're not going to absolutize and we're not going to what, what is the word? Um, sacralize any, 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 any institution right, or political right. ideology as, as sort of perfect, as sort of the standard. And yeah. so we are constantly, as the people of God, in this revolution. But it's a revolution that you guys beautifully outlined. It's a, it's a revolution oh, okay. that looks completely different to the world. Mm -hmm. um, sure. What extent, Fred, what extent, um, to what, what, what is the extent of being subject to the government? To what extent, what does that look like? Um, in our context, how, how do we, uh, is there a point where we go like, okay, this is it, this is not enough, is this, can we go beyond this? Does it make sense? Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I follow. Um, Romans 13 in this passage certainly has the state and its official representatives in mind. Um, and I don't, I don't know that other authorities are in view here. Um, one might think about educational authorities. Um, in ESA, that would fall under the state as well, since state schools and universities are subject to the Ministry of Education. Um, democracy does change the way that we, uh, that we think through this, because unlike in Romans 13, we have some say over the government that rules us. Uh, and if they do so poorly, we may use the means at our disposal to seek to replace them. But when they are ruling, as the ANC are at present in South Africa, I think that this is going to mean being respectful and submitting insofar as we can do with a good conscience, and whilst utilizing the tools which the Constitution, which the government is also subject to, affords us. Mm. Um, so, so this doesn't mean agreeing with everything, nor failing to complain about things like corruption. Um, it, would be a, it would obviously be a mistake to say, um, well, because of Romans 13, we can't complain about things that the government does, because the government is also being held to a Constitution. Um, 
So it's, our submission is going to look like following the means a democracy provides for accountability. Active citizens. The, go the government are also subject to this constitution, and that's one of the great benefits of the modern world. And so we can apply Romans 13 in a myriad of ways. Uh, actually, that's actually constitutional because that's actually submitting to the government structure, which the government itself upholds. And so the modern world has given us a, a several ways in which we can actually apply Romans uh, 13 as responsible and good citizens. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's interesting because, I mean, even in our constitution, protest is one of them. Right. So, so we are, right. so, I mean, that's the one that often gets people like, oh, you must submit to the government, you mustn't protest. And we can talk about the how and the, the parameters as a Christian as to how we can protest. But protest, including mass protest, um, is actually constitutional. It's so it's not, it's right. not constitutional. It's not right. being rebellious and not submitting to the government. Yes, uh, yes. It's, it's, I, 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 no. it's actually Another example would be America last year when they impeached their president. A lot of people were like, Romans 13, submit to the government. Well, the process of impeachment was exactly. also part of the U.S. government. Right. Um, and so, in fact, doing that was a matter of submitting to the government and recognizing the Constitution. The, con yeah. the idea of a Constitution is a real development uh, and a real advantage uh, to actually applying this. You can actually say to the government, look, you're not submitting to the government, as it were. Um, <laughs> you know, because you, yeah. you're, not, you're not submitting right. to those, those ideas which are actually more primary than you. Right. Mm, yeah. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Powerful. I, I want to I ask our last, last question. Um, we've been going at it. <laughs> so there's a lot of people, there's this assumption for those who argue for a fairly rigid interpretation of Romans uh, that the Bible is basically just pro the rule of authorities. It's just pro all of that. Uh, but how does this contrast with the far more negative picture of government found in other places of scripture? The book of Revelation, for instance. Yeah, right. I mean, at a number of points in this conversation, we've spoken about the need to think about other portions of Scripture when we, when, we, when we evaluate the Bible's view of government. And this is something which governments like the apartheid government, the Nazi government, the Jim Crow American government have all failed to do. Uh, and maybe a nice way for everybody to, who's listening to, to remember is when you talk about Romans 13, don't forget Revelation 13. You can keep R13, R13. Um, so, so I'll tell you a little bit. Of, I'll tell you a little bit about Revelation as well, because it's if you like, and this is one of the things which is so beautiful about Scripture. It's so balanced. Um, there are when, when there's one thing. Of course, there's times when it's necessary to submit to government, but there's also times when government is an evil beast that needs to be um, fought against uh, and needs to be overcome. And the Bible has both of those positions, and so. We need, to, we need to always have Romans 13 in mind, especially if we're, uh, uh, if we're the rebellious type. But right. maybe you're the submissive type that goes with every kind of government. Well, then right. you need to remember Romans, uh, Revelation 13. So the Jews, uh, like I said, we, the, the scriptures give us a number of examples of um, governments, the Jewish, the Jews with the Egyptians. The prophets look forward to God's justice being brought to bear on oppressive rulers. Daniel sees the state as a beast to be overcome. And Revelation picks up on the same imagery of Daniel, particularly Daniel 7. Um, now, Revelation's probably written in the 90s during the reign of a crazy Roman emperor called Domitian, 
And my goodness, was this guy mad. He's the kind of guy who would quote Romans 13. And I think everybody would go, no, no, I don't, I don't think you mean to be applying that text here because this guy's crazy. Um, uh, now, Revelation 13 portrays the Roman state as a dragon and as a beast in its two stages. That, that's hectic. Uh, yep. Its days are numbered. The vision Revelation provides of the state is of a cruel empire that sets itself against God and his people. And it will be overcome. There's a, almost a, a longing in Revelation for the overthrow of this, of this beast. All the, this, this is now the reverse side of the Romans 13 coin that we're talking about. So anyone who thinks that Romans 13 means the Bible is necessarily pro-state has to also consider it along with Revelation 13. Yeah. A balanced position would That's be to right. say that uh, at times we must remember the kingdom of God is not here fully. And so we must submit for the, to the present uh, democratic state. So there's the Romans 13 view. But on the other hand, the kingdom is a force in this world through which, through the, uh, uh, in this world, through the, uh, through the church, empowered by God's spirit. And so when the state shows its beastly head, as it did in times like apartheid, and as it still does in many instances right. in the world today, we must oppose it in every possible way, recognizing that should we fail, our hope is ultimately in the Lamb who conquers. Come on. Amen. So, we, we, Romans uh, was written about 30 years before, before Revelation. Um, and under, under Domitian, the Christians has begun. And the state is no longer now in Revelation 13, seen as also wielding his authority. Uh, but it's seen as an ally of the devil, uh, who's given his authority oh. to the persecuting state. Persecuting state. And so Revelation 13, and here I'm quoting Coleman with whom. Now, we started with a quote by Coleman, and here's Coleman again on Revelation. He says that Revelation 13 is a satanic parody of Romans 13, and yet both are true. According according as the state remains within its limits or transgresses them, the Christians will decide as the servant of God or as the instrument of the devil. Sorry, let me re-say that. So insofar as the state remains within its limits or transgresses them, Christians will describe it as the servant of God or as the instrument of the devil. It can play oh, either role. And we find both of those roles in Scripture. So and we should yeah. act accordingly. Yeah, yeah that's that is powerful. That is powerful. I've actually, I've actually just been looking at um, that exact theme in Scripture. Um, looking at Satan's rule. And I think sometimes we can over-spiritualize the devil's dominion and God coming to rescue us from the dominion of darkness and Christ eventually coming to uh, ruling or sitting at the right hand of the Father. I think 1 Corinthians 15 talks about this. talks about one day he will, will come and he will overthrow all authority, opposing authority, rule and dominion. And I don't think, and I've, list, and I've list, read, read a couple of authors, uh, commentaries and a lot of guys are, are arguing for it does not limit it's not limited to um spiritual forces and even if it's spiritual forces on the basis of what you're saying and i and i'm looking here again i'm looking at, at um revelation 16 as well i think it's verse 13 to 14 um it talks about evil spirits going out into the world and and it's specifically and it says these spirits are, are of demons performing miraculous signs they go out uh to the kings of the whole world and they go out to deceive them. And so those kingdoms are prejudiced by demonic influence. And so if we are saying that we oppose the kingdom of Satan, 
And this is not even being political. This is us saying that we are spiritual people opposing right. the rule of and dominion of, of Satan. Abortion. I mean, we, 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 we pick, nitpick our, 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 our evils that the state can commit. Abortion is, is yeah. you know, the big one. Oh, we must, we must, we must oppose the state. Right. Okay, can we, talk about, can we talk about the brokenness of the state and when it's structural institutional right. against other people, groups, not, not individuals or, or, or where it's that explicit on babies, but also explicit on, on oppressing people groups, uh, like mm. in apartheid. Um, right. And uh, the legacy of that structural implications that we are still battling with today. Can we hold the, the government to account and saying that where you do not see the image of God in others or treat people as though they're image bearers, that that is demonic, that that is not from oh, wow. God and that we need to speak up against that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm speaking here to my, to, my, to my Pentecostal brothers because I know a lot of, lot of, lot of Pentecostal evangelicals are going, uh, charismatic guys are going, like I, I'm, not, you know, I'm not into this politic, political, I'm on the spiritual. This is spiritual. This is our oh, wow. ground. And not just the Kairos document, if you go back into our history, there were Pentecostals who wrote documents speaking to uh, what was going on. Um, and so I think we need to, yes, we need to, we need to hone in into the whole legacy of the church in terms of speaking holistically to the problem of sin and evil and death uh, and the dominion of Satan and darkness. Yeah. Sure. Guys, yes, this, has been, this has been brilliant. This has been brilliant. It's been powerful. Um, okay. Are we, are we wrapping up? Yep. I just had a thought. Like, this is like, wrapping up. I, okay, I'll, I'll leave my thought. I'll, I'll go home. Go ahead, go ahead. No, go John, ahead. John, no, John. No, no, no. Go we, ahead, you John. can't. I won't sleep to John, we're editing this. I want to know your thought, please. <laughs> so here's my... So no, my thought <laughs> is like... And I was just been thinking, like, we've been talking a lot about exegesis and interpreting scripture. And I'm just wondering if, like, the, the more... Well, just in just seeing how much we need to hold intention and how we need to read the Bible holistically, how we need to read it, recognizing context. And I'm wondering if like this kind of simplistic reading of scripture that we sometimes want to do, where it's like just flat off the page, where it's um, where we just like we can just apply it straight. And and yes, there's, there's a sense that how, how much of that is actually actually ends up allowing and uh, perpetrating injustice and how much of it is actually really sure. uh, a reading of scripture that is is full with justice a care uh, for the poor and the marginalized is really able to read scripture re recognizing these dual these dual aspects because the state is both good and and it's a beast I, I just love the way you said that and i'm just wondering if like when we settle for simplistic exegesis we actually uh and, and a simplistic reading of scripture we can actually end up um, just kind of bulking up and supporting our own uh, biases and our own prejudices right. and, and actually end up um, perpetuating injustice. Like, like you started right at the beginning, you said, like, reading Romans 13, we come and we, ha we have an agenda. We have an agenda that we want people to, to, to adhere to. Um, and so we, we kind of couch it in spiritual terms. Like, I just read the Bible or I just do what the Bible says. But actually, we need, to, we need to examine that. Like, yeah. are we actually using our spirituality as a cover for injustice? Um, yeah. yeah, it's a good thought, John. I'll go home Powerful. with it now. No. Guys, no, that, that was a good thought. Um, that was a good thought. I think, okay. yeah, guys, that was a good thought. It was a good thought. We're going to edit it, by the way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I feel the love here. Yeah. Edit, edit me out. Edit, 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 edit yeah, me out. Edit me yeah, out for like, saying editing. 
Guys, you need to. <laughs> Guys, guys, I'm doing Beth, the recording. I'm doing the recording here. You got to submit to my authority, man. Didn't you listen to anything? Ah, uh, uh, we've just undone everything we've said. So, are uh, you uh, a Romans thirteen authority or a Revelation thirteen authority, John? No, well, he's on here, so he's no, we, we lost you, man. Good. Yeah, we, yeah. Just submit lost, to me. Yeah. That's the point. Just submit to me. That's the point, man. How convenient. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I know. Ben, I want to thank you. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for yeah. for for coming on. Uh, I think this was this is this has been enriching, yeah, especially for um, those of us who love Romans and who always get stuck, even in chapter three, <laughs> um, uh, to go beyond that. And I love what you said about not just reading from chapter twelve onwards as sort of oh now we're applying everything, but it's part of the whole outworking of the theology of of salvation. Right. And, and and it's 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 a it's right. a it's a it's an outworking of life, of, of gospel life. It's a very key life. part of the meaning of the letter. Come on. The, Beautiful. The, the, the second part yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. That's good. So thanks thanks for being with us, man. Love yeah, you. Thank you. Appreciate thanks for you. inviting me. It's been a real joy to discuss these things with you. And uh, yeah, may God grant us wisdom as we interpret his word well. Absolutely, man. We need it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. Everyone, I really appreciate man. it. And all the best uh, to you as you continue uh, on this on this journey that you're on. Sure. Thanks, Brad, man. Thanks for being yep. with us. Thanks, man. Thanks, Thank Brad. you. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Cheers. Everyone, thanks for following us. Uh, 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 thanks for following us. You can follow us on Yellow Mensa, uh, on Twitter, uh, Issa Mambano on Facebook. Uh, as always, get involved. Get involved in the discussion. Give us your comments. Give us your feedback. Uh, if you found this helpful, share this, like, give us your comments. Please give us your comments. We, we welcome... All comments. Well, we welcome all comments. Yeah. Hey, John, Guys, we welcome I just want to comments. say as well, it's like when you share, when you like, it just raises the profile, gets us noticed, gets us more out there. So if you if you think that Yellow Mens is yeah. doing something good, if you think it's worth listening to, then please just, just hit that like, just hit that share. It really helps us uh, with our own profile, with our own, uh, just getting our, our getting the word out there of what we're doing. So, so this is a special plea. It's a special plea. Guys, so this audio was produced by Exilic Music. Um, you can find them at www.exilic.co.za. If you have a project, if you're a musician, if you have anything that has to do with recording, hit this guys up. They're doing amazing work. Uh, I'm David signing out. And with me, my man, John. I'm saying we got work to do. See you all next time. There you time. go. There you go.